to Luke chapter 6, as today we see Jesus um, really, really, I think, man, dealing with the Pharisees. Um, we see this a lot as we go through the Gospels. And really, uh, in essence, I think, you know, one of the things that we want to come away with is just um, really guarding our heart against legalism. Uh, you know, the Pharisees, uh, you know, that was their problem, man. I mean, they weren't getting drunk. It wasn't an issue of drugs or, you know, sex and lust and all that kind of stuff. Those are things that, of course, we have to deal with, man. But, you know, the Lord didn't fight with people who struggle with those things, you know. He fought with the the Pharisees. He fought with the legalists. And that's why it's important for us to, to go through this and and basically, this is what I see, man. I see the Lord just wanting us to have a heart that is right. You know, that we've got to love the Lord. And, and in that love for others, there's the correcting love, but there's also that, that comforting love. There's the, the grace and the holiness. There's that beautiful balance that God gives to us. It's not just rules and regulations. It's not just a religion. It really is a relationship with God to which these religious leaders, man, they just totally miss the point. And, you know, one day you're going to stand before God. One day I'm going to stand before God. And, and God doesn't look at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. And that's why the heart has to be right, you guys. We can't just go through the habits. We can't just do the, you know, the Christianese stuff that looks good on the outside. It's got to be real. And that's why it's so cool to come to this section and really, you know, God just rocks our world, I think. He just really brings us back to what it's all about. The, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. It's not about law, it's about love and having that, that heart that Christ has. Because um, look what we read here in verse 1. It says, Now it happened on the second Sabbath after the first, that he went through the grain fields, and his disciples plucked the heads of grain and ate them, rubbing them in their hands. So some of the Pharisees said to them, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? But Jesus answering them said, Have you not even read this, what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he went into the house of God and took and ate the showbread and also gave some to those with him, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he said to them, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Now to get a big picture here, or to get the full picture, you would have to read Matthew 12, 1 through 14, Mark 2, beginning in verse 23 and forward. And what you find is that um, Matthew tells us that the disciples were hungry. You know, they were hungry. And we haven't been there for a long time. I don't think most of us get hungry too often. But, you know, when they were engaged in ministry, things got so busy, uh, according to the Gospels, that sometimes they didn't have time to eat. And so, you know, they were, they were hungry. And so what ends up happening is they go through the grain fields, they pick some grain, and they just kind of rub them, you know, let the shaft fall. And then they eat the, the wheat. That was the only grain there in the New Testament. And what we find is that they were satisfying their appetite. Now, in looking at this, one might wonder, well, is that okay to do? I mean, can I grab my neighbor's orange or avocados? Is this a cool thing to do, you know? And, and we know in the Jewish culture it was. Deuteronomy 23, verse 24 and 25 says it was okay to eat from your neighbor's field. You just couldn't get a container and you couldn't use a sickle. But other than that, you know, if you're hungry, just like this, man, 
you maybe you don't have a, a lot of money, whatever it is, you can go through and, uh, I don't know, kind of like Sam's, you get your little samples, man, and just kind of help yourself through the day type of thing, you know. And so, you know, that was that issue. But the other issue is this issue that the Pharisees bringing up, and there in verse 2, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? See, and that was the, the issue. And here's the Pharisees, and Jesus is going to fight with the Pharisees. And, you know, he has a, he has a problem with them because they, they, they just so, they're so caught up, they're so mesmerized in their real nitpicking and rules and regulations. And what does he, what does he say? He says, man, in verse 3, have you not even read this, what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he went into the house of God, he took and ate the showbread and he even gave some to his friends. It, according to the Bible, and this is clearer than what they're saying, I mean, it was clear in the Old Testament. It was clear. Only the priest could eat the showbread. That was the bread of presence. That was there in the holy place there. Not in the most holy place, but they would have the 12 loaves, symbolic of the 12 tribes of Israel. And according to the scriptures, very clearly it said that only the priest could eat it. Only the priest and only in a holy place. And so what happened in the Old Testament was even a clearer violation when David ate it than these guys right here who are splitting hairs over whether or not having a little bit of grain, fiber, real good for these fellows, man, was a sin or not. Well, the Pharisees, they were, they were bad, man. There were 6,000 of them, according to Josephus. And they were really looked up to, man. And when, if you were to look at the Pharisees back in those days, you would think they were so right on. You would think they were so, you know, right in God's sight. That, that Man, they were just perfect, man. But they were so way off. Why? Because they were caught up in things like this, rules and regulations, not relationship. They were caught up in law and not love. You see, the Pharisees had forgotten the mercy and they had immersed themselves in rules and regulations. It's kind of interesting to see right here that they were doing what? They were watching Jesus and his disciples as they passed through the fields. They were spying on them. And that's how some Christians are, man. They break out their biblical binoculars and they start looking at everybody, man. That's what the Pharisees were doing. They were spying now on Jesus, on every act, it was to be scrutinized by critical and hostile eyes. And so they say, hey, what you're doing is not lawful to do on the Sabbath day. You know, and they basically, they thrashed the truth and they elevated their traditions. You know, in their attempt to bring practical application to the Bible, they went too far. You know, and that's where we need to be really careful. You know, we read the Bible and, you know, it says to keep the Sabbath holy. And I know in my heart, when I'm reading the Bible, I always want to connect the dots. You know, I always want to say, well, what does this mean in my life, Lord? How do I bring practical application to this? You know, and, you know, we got to do that with the Bible, but we got to be so careful as well because there's a principle, you know, as far as keeping the Sabbath holy, remembering it. But then how does that work out in your life? How does that work out in my life? I mean, does it really mean that, you know, rubbing some grain together would make you a sinner? You know, and I don't know, man, I don't think so. But maybe for them it, it would, but, but not for me. 
especially when I'm hungry, you know. And But the bottom line is they have elevated that to boom, the commandments of God. And, and that wasn't. And that's where we need to be so careful. You know, one of the interesting things about this is that the Pharisees, they, they came to them, you know. They came to the disciples. Um, and, you know, again, have you ever seen the movies with the robes and the big hats and the intimidation of the Pharisees, you know? Uh, they probably didn't say anything. You know, they're fishermen. They're not going to say anything. These are the, the Pharisees. You know, we're not going to say anything. But Jesus was willing to say something, huh? Jesus defended them. Jesus spoke on their behalf. And that's why we need to be so careful, man. I share this with you not because I want to come down on anybody, man, but because I, I want to warn you and because I want... I want, I want God to bless your life because one day when you stand before him, you've got to know that it's got to be about heart and not habits. can't be a Pharisee. Don't. Guard yourself against it. Guard yourself against, you know, lust on the Internet. Guard yourself against drugs and alcohol. Guard yourself against, you know, the sins that are, that are evident. But guard yourself against Phariseeism as well. Because in one sense, it's probably more dangerous than the others. Because you think you're right with God, and you're not. And so he says right here, man, you guys, um, you, haven't you read the Bible? That's basically what he says there in verse 3, you know. They were missing the whole point. Why? Because they hadn't really read. In verse 3, have not you read... And if I could just say that for, for a moment, a lot of times our problems are because we're not reading the Bible. We're not reading it. I want to encourage you to read your Bible, to read it, you know, um, and to understand that these are the basic instructions before leaving earth, B-I-B-L-E, right? That's what it is. It's our owner's manual for life. This is how you know how to be a father, a, a mother, a husband, a wife, a friend a worker, a servant, a Christian, you'll find it in the Bible. And when you read it, God speaks to you by the Holy Spirit. And so he says, haven't you read the Bible? Sometimes the simple reason people do not understand maybe your stand for grace and mercy is that they have not read. So they do not really know what the scriptures teach. And of course there are those times that people have read, but they haven't you know, really read. You know, they went through it and it went here, but it didn't go into the heart and they're blind to the truth. You know, one time Jesus told the Sadducees, Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine, you're mistaken not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. See, when you know the scriptures, you'll understand what you're supposed to do. Now, when you read the story of David, let's just say you're going through your devotional reading and you're reading the story of David and you're like, okay, that's a nice story. It's pretty cool what happened with David. You know, he had bread. I like bread, you know, and then you go on to your next chapter or whatever. But you miss the principle that Jesus is trying to teach right here, the principle of mercy, the principle of love over law. The principle of human need superseding the letter of the law. They missed it. And so Jesus here, he kind of wants to teach them this whole thing. And I'm sure these guys read it. I'm sure they even memorized it. But the bottom line is, they didn't take away what God really wanted to communicate to them. 
What happened to these guys is they just got stuck on something. They got stuck on the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath was very important to the Jews. We know that in the Old Testament, they even got disciplined because they weren't keeping the Sabbaths of the land. And so um, what ended up happening was God disciplined them. God took them to Babylon and they learned the lesson regarding the Sabbath. But what ends up happening is they went to the other extreme. You see, and that's where we get messed up, you guys, when we go to this extreme or that extreme. Now, I've got to be honest with you. Going to extremes is easier. It's easier to do that. It's easier just to be a Pharisee. See, I remember when I go to Catholic Church, you know, you go and you, you kind of do your thing and then you sin and you go to confession and just, I don't know, there's something about religion that was easier. But the relationship is, is more difficult. Because you've got to try to see things the way God sees them. And the only way you're going to see things the way God sees them is if you're walking in the Spirit. And if you're in the Word. And if you're in prayer. And if your heart is right. And they went to the other extreme and they said, Man, if you're a tailor and you're wearing a needle, if you've got a needle on your clothes, you're violating the Sabbath, you know. They said, if you're wearing false teeth, you know, you're violating the Sabbath, man. So I guess you'd have to go on a liquid diet on the Sabbath day or something, you know. You go to Israel today and, you know, the elevator stops in every floor. Why? Because they think violating the Sabbath would mean pushing the button. I mean, is that what God was talking about? No, huh? He was talking about a rest. See, they were missing the point and they were going to the extremes. And you and I, we have to have the heart of Christ. We can't do that. And that's my prayer. My prayer is, God, give me your heart. I want to be holy, but I want to be gracious. I want to love the people, but not just correcting love, also a comforting love. I want to be like you, Lord. See, the Pharisees, they, they weren't like that. You know, and we got to be so careful, you know, in life, man. I mean, if I could just ask you this question, what's more important to your spouse or your child or your, or your friends or your coworkers? What do you think is more important, your law of church attendance or your love? You know, maybe you hear a spiritual voice inside of you one day and it says, you know what, your son's hurting. Your, your wife is hungry. And I know you don't do this very often, but today, let's just say the Lord says, uh, you need to spend time with them. And rather than going to church this Sunday morning, what I want you to do is I want you to spend some good quantity, quality time with your son or your wife or your daughter or your friend or your spouse. And you miss church on Sunday morning. Is that legal? I mean, and I, and I don't want to encourage that, you know, to you by any means. You know, I, I think that church attendance is very important. And I think personally I need to be here at least once a week and be plugged into a home church and fellowship and get fed faithfully. But then there's those times, though, when the Holy Spirit speaks to us, right? And on that Sabbath day, so to speak, you grab that grub, you miss the message in order to do what? In order to help a hungry person. We'll see later a hurting person, a handicapped person. You see, God can do that. 
And I know we're not dealing specifically with that, but the principle and the point is that human need supersedes the letter of the law. People are more important than our own personal parameters and rules and regulations. I remember one time a while back, I was at a different church, and, um, you know, I remember one night, it was a Sunday night, and uh, my wife was just having a rough day, you know. It was an emotionally rough day for her. And so I didn't go that Sunday night. And I was always there, you know. But that Sunday night, I didn't go. Because I really believe that the Lord wanted me to spend time with my wife, right? And so what ended up happening was the next, you know, day, you know, I went. And uh, the individual, you know, kind of overseeing the whole thing, they, they told me, you're, you're wrong. You can't do that. You must be here on Sunday night. And, you know, I submitted. But as time progressed, I said, I will never do that. You know, and so if someone misses a Sunday morning or a Thursday night or whatever it is, you know, you don't hold that against them because the Lord is the Lord of our life. And, the, you know, when you get caught in the letter of the law over love and you have these, you know, weird you know, parameters more important than people that are hurting, that is dying inside, then you're, you're going to be in real big trouble. And so the Lord, he deals with the Pharisees a lot. You're going to see this as we go through the Gospels. He fights them all the time. We need to remember, Jesus said in Mark 2.27, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. You see, the Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath was important to God, but not more important than people. So he tries to teach them that. But then he says something really heavy in verse 5. The Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Interesting. There's a couple of reasons why you need to listen to what I'm saying, Jesus said. Number one, the principle of Scripture. Human need supersedes the letter of the law. Number two, because of who I am. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. That's heavy. You know, we see his humanity. We see here, though, he emphasizes his deity. And in studying the Bible, we know that the Sabbath laws were about to be changed. This is the only commandment of the Ten Commandments that's been modified in the New Testament. Romans 14.5, Colossians 2.16 says that all days are to be esteemed it's a personal conviction as far as what day you would choose as a Sabbath. And the Sabbath was just a shadow of the substance. However, again, that's not even the main point here. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm God and you're not. And if we could kind of figure that one out, you guys, we'd be in really good shape. He says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Wow. <laughs> And life would be so much simpler. You would get saved and you would be so much happier if you could just get that one into your hearts. And so they learn, right? No, they don't. Just like a lot of times we don't learn. We heard the message, but you go on and you're the same way. Look at verse 6. It says, Now it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered that synagogue and taught. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and Pharisees watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, 
that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. Then Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy? And when he had looked around at them all, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. But they were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Again, what are they doing? They're spying, huh? They're spying on him. Oh, I'm going to find something, man. The accusation, something that will hold up in the court of law, right? And there they are. They're spying. They're looking for Jesus to mess up. And, and, and what's Jesus doing? Jesus is teaching the word of God. And Jesus is looking for the one that he could heal. Huh. He's looking for the hurting heart. Imagine what it would be like, man, if your, your right hand, Luke tells us the right hand, it's withered. And it doesn't work. And there you are, and, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a tough life. And, and, you know, I just want to encourage you to understand that today maybe your right hand is withered. Maybe there's something going on in your life that you're struggling with or it's happened to you. Maybe it's a physical or financial situation. Or maybe it's just an emotional, you know, depression. And we go through so many things in life, and there you are, and you're like, man, what am I going to do? My right hand is withered. I want you to know that Jesus is looking for you. Jesus can heal you, even though the enemy doesn't want him to. You know, because here the Pharisees, man, they they don't want him to heal, right? But in in verse 8, Jesus says, Arise and stand here. Now, if you have an NIV, it says, Get up and stand in front of everyone. Because that's what it really says in the Greek language. Come here, I want you to stand right in the front. I'm going to show this to everybody here. I want to teach this lesson to everyone, right? And even though the Pharisees were scrutinizing him on the Sabbath, it didn't matter because, again, people are more important. The disciples were hungry, and this man is handicapped. And so Jesus brings him into the middle in front of everyone, and he asks a question there in verse 9, a very simple question. That's why he said, I'm just going to ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy? And of course we know that this is a simple answer, right? But their hearts are not tender. Otherwise they would have clearly seen. You know, Matthew adds this in Matthew 12, 11. Jesus asked, What man is there among you who has one sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? And you know, it's a question that I think, you know, you maybe you don't have a sheep at home. Maybe you do. I don't know. You know, but we've got things and we've got stuff. We've got priorities. Maybe it's work. I don't know what it is that we put before the people in our lives. It happens. Possessions are more important than people. 
And the Lord just kind of brings us back to his heart. It's all about people. It's about people. And you make a huge difference in their life. You know, and I'm learning little by little. But, you know, you don't know what that word of encouragement does. You don't know what that that card or that phone call or whatever it is. Spend a little time with your son or your daughter, your friend. You don't know what that does. Because it's about people. It's not sheep. It's not possessions. And the Lord wants to bring us back to that heart, you guys. That heart. The heart that he has for people. You know, one of the historical writings, and it's not in the Bible, so again, I'm not sure this is true, but it kind of gives us insight into something that possibly took place because according to this historical resource, it says that this man came to Jesus and begged him for help. And he said, I was a stonemason earning my living with my hand. I beseech you, Jesus, give me back my health that I may not have to beg for bread any longer. You know, and again, I don't know if that's true or not, but I will say this, that a lot of times we're making judgments on people and we don't know the whole story. We don't know what their life has been like. We don't know what they went through, you know, last night or yesterday or what they're going through. And here's this guy, and what does he want? He just wants to work again. to work and that's why it's so important you guys that we don't aren't quick to judge but we pray we ask God for love and compassion and tenderness and wisdom and when to say and what to say and how to say because you know that's the heart of the Lord you know it's true here's a man who just wants to work and so wouldn't you shouldn't you want to help him can you imagine if Jesus said, no, not today, I'm closed today, you know, come back tomorrow and you could probably work this out, you know. But these guys, they just wouldn't see it. And you know, Mark 3, in verse 5, it adds something interesting. It says, and when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, it's then that he said to them, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Just, again, a warning, you guys. And I I think we all have to guard ourselves. I have to guard myself because sometimes I'm like this with my kids and, you know, it could be like this with with people. Just have to guard yourself against being legalistic because it makes God angry, right? grieves God. Just guard yourself against that, right? And so Jesus heals him. Imagine that. His hand is made as whole as the other. And it's just an amazing miracle right in front of their eyes. Everybody saw it because he did it right in the middle. And so the Pharisees were like, wow, that's so cool. I'm happy for you. Man, you've got power. That's what they did, right? No, they didn't, right? <laughs> no, it's just, this is crazy. Verse 11, they were filled with rage. And they discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Can I just say something? That, that, that discussion was disgusting <laughs> to God. I mean, literally in the Greek language, it talks about they were crazy with rage. 
They were crazy. And sometimes Christians get crazy and they miss the whole point. Here's Jesus doing good, saving life, and here are these religious hypocrites doing evil and destroying life. They mistakenly think that God's on their side and he's not. You know, I think we learn a lesson on the heart of God, how human need supersedes the letter of the law, how important the hungry people are, the hurting people are, the handicapped people are to God. And just to make sure, you guys, and again, we find this balance, and I'm not trying to get weird or anything, but just making sure that we don't limit ourselves through legalism, that we don't choose religion over relationships. See, the religious leaders of that day, they would not learn, they would not turn, they would not change. And so what ends up happening is God, in one sense, he has to get new wineskins. And that's what we read next in verse 12. It says, Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. And from them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the Zealot, Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's possible for the Pharisees to change. But they resisted. They insisted. They persisted in their own ways. They were building their own kingdom. They were not caught up in the kingdom of God. And so what ended up happening was God said, and again, who knows, maybe he did this a long time ago, but now he's going to choose apostles. Think about that. Luke 10, verse 1 says there were 70 disciples already, at least. But now he's going to pick the 12 that he would pour into, that would be his representatives to go out and to change the world. So what does he do? Well, he prays all night. We read that in verse 12. It came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain and he prayed. He prayed all night to God. You know, and and when looking at this right here, I was just thinking, you know, a couple of reasons, you know, to do that. Um, One is the warfare with the enemy. Um, Undoubtedly, when Jesus was here on earth, he was doing warfare with the devil, with Satan. Who knows? Maybe with all the demonic hosts combined. I think that's a possibility because we think about it. This is God coming you know and so the devil does everything he can and so jesus emptied himself of his divine resources he came and he walked the earth as a man would and therefore he was dependent upon the power of the holy spirit and that's why we constantly sing and praying and luke five sixteen, it talks about that other places just praying 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 and now what's he doing he's praying all night there was a war that was taking place with the religious leaders And the cool thing is he would win the war. He would win the war by dying on a cross. That's how he won the war. 
And I think sometimes we think, you know, winning the war is, you know, I'm going to get my way. I'm going to get healthy, wealthy, and prosperous, or whatever it might be. And we don't realize that winning the war is actually dying to ourselves. So Jesus would pray. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed. And he died. And for some of us here, the reason we're not dying is because we're not praying. And so Jesus, he prayed, he prayed all night. Not only was it the warfare with the enemy, it was also the will of the Father. He's about to pick his 12 apostles and, um, you know, he really wants to make sure he picks the right guys. He wants to make sure he picks the guys who have heart. Not the superficial religious leaders, but the guys who would die for the truth. And he did pretty good. You know, I think in looking at this, someone say, well, what about Judas? Why did he, you know, select Judas? I don't think he selected Judas because he knew he would betray him. I don't believe that the Lord would put anyone in ministry who wasn't saved. I think at that time, Judas had the heart that was dynamite. But he turned. But you've got to pick the right people, people who are teachable. People who the Lord could pour into. Not people who have it all figured out. They learned it somewhere else. And we picked the right people that would end up dying. And we know that 11 of the 12 disciples, apostles right here, did die. John was put into oil. They were willing to go the distance. You know, and there's a time to be a disciple, a learner, a pupil. There's that part of our life, but there's also that part of our life in that we would be apostles, man. One who was sent out, an ambassador, a representative of Jesus Christ. He prayed all night, you know, for these things. I think another reason he prayed all night, I'll bet you, is I bet you, man, I'll bet you almost anything. He just loved being with his father. Don't you think? Probably out of the three, that was probably the strongest one, huh? I mean, he just loved being with his father, spending time with him. You know, um, when I when I when I read him about him, him praying all night, I think, man, you know, it's kind of a difficult thing to do. You know, to stay up all night. I tried that last night. I, I, I lasted until about three thirty in the morning, and then I went to bed, and then I woke up and I felt like I got hit by a truck, man. And you know, to stay up all night. Even now, I'm getting older, to be honest with you. So pray for me, man. I was over at some friend's house the other night. And uh, I started falling asleep, <laughs> man. That's not good, huh? So probably about 10 o'clock. And so what I ended up doing was I ended up, uh, um, we ended up, my, my son said, hey, let's play Scrabble. And so we played Bible Scrabble. Uh, you guys got to play Bible Scrabble. It's just your regular Scrabble game, but you can only use words that are in the Bible. And so it was really cool. We had a great time. You know, we're like wondering, is this word in the Bible? And you look it up on your phone and stuff like that. And you're quoting verses. It was just an awesome night. And you know what, man? Once we started doing that, I, I was awake. And before you know it, it's like 1230 in the morning. And I tell my friend, I'm sorry, I'm still here. But, you know, we're having fun, you know. Because <laughs> when you're doing something that obviously, you, you know, you enjoy doing, you, you stay awake. You know, and there's certain things that kind of keep us awake. I don't know, maybe for you it's sunflower seeds or whatever it is. You know, I know for me that works. You know, for Jesus, it was prayer. 
That's heavy. Because I think for a lot of us here, when we pray, we fall asleep. It's so heavy. You know, when you're there, you're praying, and, you know, you're on your pillow. You know, you're going to fall asleep, man. You need to get on your knees and pray. You need to go walk out in the garage. Get out in the cold. Get out in the cold and pray. You won't freeze. Stay awake. Tozer used to pray in the snow, 4 o'clock in the morning. But Jesus prayed all night. We see the amazing prayer life of Christ. You know, and he picks these disciples, man, these guys right here. You know, seven of them are probably fishermen. I mean, you know, and and in looking at this, we'll, we'll close with this. A few things about these disciples and, and this whole apostleship that comes to heart. Number one is proximity. Proximity. Mark 3.14 tells us that he chose them that they might be with him. He chose them that they might be with him. And that's the heart of ministry. You know, the other day I was talking to this young guy and he's going to Bible college and he just wants to serve the Lord and he's a really humble guy, you could tell. You know, I met him at the mall and it was so cool, you know. I got a chance to talk to him and I could tell he was listening. You know, he was like one of those guys who said, you know what, I want to hear, like, you know, something, you know, give me some counsel. And it was kind of cool. I told him, I said, you know what, the heart of ministry and preparation and always, and really all of life, is that it flows through your relationship with God. It flows there. If that's not right, nothing's right. But if that's right, everything's right. And that's how he would teach them. That's how he would prepare them. Is he, They would be close to him. And that's what it says. He called them so that they might be with him. I want to encourage you to be with the Lord. Walk in the Spirit. Stay in step with Him. Stay in prayer in the Word. Stay close to the Lord. Remember Jesus as you're going through your day. One word is proximity. Another word is ordinary. These were really ordinary guys in one sense. You know, there's no famous people here. Um, There's no, you know, I don't know, Hercules or anything like that. You know, there's no... Einstein, as far as I know, you know, there's just disordinary guys. None were wealthy, none were famous, none were influentials of the day. They had no special education, they were common folk. But see, God can take ordinary men and make them extraordinary, right? God can do that. Because I have a feeling there's a lot of us here, we just, you know, we know that we're ordinary. We're just, you know, average in one sense. And then in one sense, when we come to the Lord, we're not, right? And so we see the proximity. We see the fact that there were ordinary guys, that God can do a work in any person through any person. But then we also see the diversity of these guys, huh? I mean, they're just all from different places. And he puts them together, uh, this motley crew, so to speak. You know, he puts them together Uh, to do a wonderful work and eventually turn the world upside down through 12 guys. It's amazing. You know, there's that word diversity. And there's a strange mixture in this, you know, to take, like, for example, Matthew, a tax collector, 
who was therefore considered a traitor and a renegade. And then there's Simon the Zealot, right? And the Zealots were fanatical nationalists who were sworn to assassinate every traitor or Roman that they could. And so in looking at the list right here, it's a miracle. It's a miracle of the power of Jesus Christ that he could take guys that are so different and even the, those that are antithetical towards each other and he can bring them together and allow them not only to live at peace and in close company, but to be effective in the work of the ministry. You know, and that's the beautiful thing. You know, I love the diversity you know, that I've seen in the ministry over the years and even in this church, man. You know, you guys are so different. You're very different. Very, very different, you know. And it's cool. I love that about you. Some of you guys, are, you know, you're, you're you know, like me. You're kind of squarish or whatever. And uh, others of you here are very cool, man, very cool. And, I've, you know, if it wasn't for Christ, I would think, man, you're too cool for me, you know. But you love me and I love you. And then you've got others over here and they've got... You know, this background, and, and man, it's amazing to me. But when we come together, it's amazing what God can do. And in looking at the apostles and seeing the work that the Lord did, it's just, it just teaches us so many things, you guys. You know, one thing I learned in, in, in the ministry, because there was a time, I think, where you're thinking, man, you know, you've got to be like-minded and everybody's got to kind of be the same as you. And there's a like-mindedness in Christ that, that is appropriate. But I've learned that I don't want everybody to be like me. You know, you've got some that are like John the Baptist. And you've got some over here that are like, uh, you know, Joan the Baptist or whatever. You've got different types of people, man. You know, you've got all, just a lot of different people. And you know what? You learn to appreciate that. I learned that over over the years. And God, he teaches us that as he takes these guys and he just says, hey, come on, I want you to walk with me for the next couple of years, two and a half years, and, and watch what I'm going to do in your life. You know, one question in closing, you guys. Which will you be? Will you be the frozen or will you be the chosen? Which one? The frozen are the ones that really get caught up in rules and regulations and they make them more important than people. People that God loves so much. You know, the frozen, they're not teachable. They already know everything. They're not crying. They enjoy instead spying on people. That's the frozen. But the chosen, on the other hand, they're flexible without compromising. They flex without sinning. They have a heart for the people. And they're willing to learn the deeper lessons. They're longing to learn the deeper lessons of the great love of God in their life, right? You see, Jesus, in looking at this, and I know it for me, it's not an easy thing to do, there's that balance. You know, Jesus is holy and Jesus is gracious. He is the Son of Man as well as the Lord of the Sabbath. He's human and divine. So we need to follow Him and only Him. Again, rules and regulations, they have their place, but they don't replace relationship with God and people. And so what do we need to do, you guys? Well, we need to go 
today. And my prayer is that you would let Christ lead you and feed you and seal you and heal you. We need to go and grow. And and, and as a disciple, you know, maybe the day has come for you to be chosen as an apostle. Small a, right? We need to speak of him. We need to be like him. Maybe even pray all night so that we can walk in his might and not our own. You see, my prayer today is that we would go out and learn these lessons, man. It's just about this. It's about the heart. You know, one day when I die, it can't be about the accomplishments or, you know, the religious stuff or the habits. It's got to be about the heart. Because that's what God's looking for, right? First Samuel 16, 7. Don't look at the outward appearance. I've rejected him. Man looks on the outward, but God looks at the heart. And so we pray, Lord, uh, create in me a clean heart, O oh God. We pray, even as the psalmist prayed, enlarge my heart. I pray, even as you saw in David a man after your own heart, I pray that I would be, that we would be men and women after your own heart. Jesus, I thank you for coming out, coming down and showing us what God is like, for showing us God, for revealing yourself to me. Lord, I thank you so much for the amazing and absolutely wonderful God that you are. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just allow us to go out and to follow you. Lord, if there's anyone here who's maybe sinned or blown it, Lord, wash them today. Forgive them. Let them know the forgiveness of God. Your word says that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Your word says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I thank you for that, the blood that washes away our sins. But I also pray, Lord, just in case there's any here today who don't know you, Lord, I pray especially for them that today, Lord, they would turn from their sins and trust in you as Lord and Savior of their life. That they would not perish, but that they would have life and that more abundantly, Father. We just thank you so much, Lord. We pray you continue to work, Lord, in these last days that we live in. Lord, we see so much happening, Lord. And uh, every day is a gift. Every day is precious, Lord. And so help us to live uh, every day for you, Lord. Again, thank you so much. We pray your word would find a home in our heart and that we would, we would just come away, Lord, stronger today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 That's all.